Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This Ben Jarofsky Show, Benny J bonus interview is brought to you in part by the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8 the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150, and the Chicago Federation of Labor. Benny J, take it away. All right, we'll do, Dr. D. It is Thursday, November 7th, as I speak. Of course, it's a podcast. You're hearing us anytime. It's a bonus podcast. It'll drop on Monday, but Lord knows when you're going to hear it. Uh, my guest, as I always do, I ask my distinguished guest to introduce him or herself. So distinguished guest, introduce yourself. My name is Amisha Patel, and I am with Grassroots Collaborative. Yes, indeed. Uh, Amisha Patel is with Grassroots Collaborative. She comes on the show ever since I've been on uh, anywhere near a microphone, probably every month or every six weeks or so. This is the first time we've done a bonus segment with you. There's so much news to cover, figure it out. Just come on in and let's do a bonus segment. Uh, I have a list of things I wanna uh, go through with you, uh, having to do with Chicago politics, Chicago budget, and basically the main issue uh, as grassroots collaborative, as we always like to say, our favorite grassroots organization in the city of Chicago, uh, how they divvy up the pie, the economic development pie, or the pie itself, the revenue pie, and that uh, are some of the issues we're gonna cover because we have a budget coming out. We just had a teacher strike. Uh, there's the Lincoln Yard lawsuit, and there's the effort, uh, the fight for a minimum wage. So why don't we start with the teacher strike that just ended, to start with that. Uh, that uh, was a week ago, it finally ended. And so what's your general thoughts, Amisha, on the teacher strike? Well, I think the fact that um, 30,000 workers or so went on strike and took the kind of hardest risk, um, the biggest risk, the hardest action to do, um, and that they did it for as many days as they did to fight for quality public schools um, is incredible. I think we owe them so much because they sh the things that they won um, as incredible and radical, you know, and historic as they are, are really the basic stuff, right? That nobody should have to go on strike for. Um, so I think I think the strike was incredible. Um, being on the streets with tens of thousands of people um, again, you know, I just think it's like we. The people of the city do really run the city. We don't feel it most of the time. And there are these moments like the strike that you feel it, that ever like you're just, I mean, every direction you look, it's people who are fighting and believe in the same thing that you do. Uh, it was, uh, it was amazing. It was amazing to get to be, to help support the strike in the ways that we did. Um, 
to get to talk about our issues with like thousands of people, um, the political education that happened through the strike, through the rallies, um, through the flyers that we created um, that got the word out about the budget, around um, fighting austerity, around like where the where the money actually is, around fifteen dollar minimum wage. All of these pieces it was such an incredible opportunity um, that we had to be able to talk to so many different people, and they won some big stuff. And I do think they they won um, they won key things for the schools. I think parent support this year, the strike uh, was stronger than during 2012. And I didn't know that that was possible because 2012 strike, parent support strike was incredible. But it started to waver much earlier than it did this round. And I think you see the difference of, I mean, the clarity within this fight for social justice and equity that the strike this time was based in and rooted in. Like, pe- like pe- people understood and saw that this was about their kids and even though like of course wages are about their kids too because the having teachers who have um the respect and the resources that they deserve themselves make it makes a difference in the classroom but i just i think that the 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 unions were really skilled at talking about what was at stake and people were with them mm-hmm. one of it, the interesting things that uh struck me about the strike is the disconnect between Chicagoans, the vast majority of Chicagoans, and for the lack of a better term, sort of the uh, the civic and corporate uh, uh, class in the city and the pundit class in the city and the editorial voice in the city, and uh, almost to a T, that group that I just got finished categorizing uh, was critical of the teachers, praising Mayor Lightfoot. Both newspapers essentially wrote the same editorial, uh, which is t- uh, admonishing the teachers for going on strike and essentially saying, shut up and take the raise. Take the money and shut up. Uh, the teachers not only ignored that advice, they went on strike for issues that did not uh, benefit their pocketbook. And furthermore, this just pointed out to me by my the guest that was on the show right before you, Amisha, they effectively subsidized the the settlement because they lost six days or five days of work and those salaries saved as mayor lifewood pointed out will effectively pay for some of the nurses the librarians so it's pretty cynical you would think that the corporate class of the city of chicago would thank the teachers for paying for things that we supposedly all believe in this disconnect is a little hard for me to take totally it's such an outrage i think the number is 68 million dollars saved because we took away instructional days from students. Let's also name it for what it is. So mm-hmm. the city and the mayor like to talk about, oh, you know, the fact that you want to have teachers want to have some built in prep time, um, that that was such an outrage because you're taking away instructional time, which is a false dichotomy. But then you turn around and you take away instructional time for students by not replacing the days of um, that, that teachers were on strike. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's. It's an it's an incredible disservice to students. Still, the the fact that like um, the city doesn't recognize that, and and let alone that those who were um, you know kind of against the teachers for doing this from um, st- from for the, from get continue to be upset about it. Um, you know, I, there was something might have been the Sun Times. I can't remember where I read it. Um, where there was this like then uh, there was an op ed about teachers taking sick days. And, like it just like as a after the strike was settled, this, you know, kind of anti-teacher piece saying, well, they took all these sick days and now they won these sick days back. And I mean, it just, 
I don't know. It's really baffling to me. It was an editorial. Me. Yeah. It was an editorial. Yeah. Um, so yeah, sometimes Tribune and Cranes, I mean, the constant kind of voice was, and even some, some white men that were standing on the street corners as we marched, um, let alone the traders that apparently spit on people. I Is saw that them, true? I saw them flyer. I saw them, they always drop flyers on us anywhere we're near within a block of uh, the board of trade. They apparently, I think they just have like stacks of paper to just throw at us, um, from their, you know, castle. Um, I saw the flyers come down. I, I believe the spit. I don't, I what mean, were the flyers saying? Uh, I think one of the flyers said you should go on strike in June. Um, it's uh, it was just like anti-teacher stuff and like I can't remember. That's the one I remember. There were like four or five different you messages. You should go on strike in June. Yeah, meaning like just this idea <laughs> you're. Um, yeah, it's just, I, I, I'm not getting it. Traders, man, you got to work in that it, comedy. You got to go on strike in June. Uh, I mean, in other words, when there's no school. Yeah. I see. Yeah, yeah. Okay, That's it. Thank you, traders. That's yeah. It. Yeah. That, that brilliance <laughs> being dropped. So, uh, yeah. I, and I do, I, I feel really um, just grateful for teachers and SEIU members who like put, the, you know, literally who like took stuff out of their own paychecks to fight for the students. Um, they shouldn't have had to do that. And they did it and they did it and they won because it's, it was, it's, the exact right thing that's yeah. what's needed all right so we move uh from the uh strike uh and uh the settlement of that strike which will probably cost i forget how much millions of dollars it's been in the newspaper i just don't have it in front of me to budget season and this is always always get a smile out of this one amisha uh the all budgetary authority in the city of chicago is in the office of the mayor and yet we <laughs> we have this split we have like the city budget season as opposed to the school budget season or the park district budget season or the library budget season. But it's just all like this pretense that these are individual independent entities uh, making their own decisions as if they're not in concert. One doesn't have an impact on the other. Uh, and we'll get into this in greater detail when we talk about the TIFs and the impact they have on all these budgets. So anyway, so we're now uh, in the middle of of a city budget uh, season, and the city has to decide how it is going to divide up the pie, all the money that comes in, which entities get what, how much streets and sand get, how much the police get, how much the fire get, et cetera, and so forth. So what's your uh, general recommendations uh, to Mayor Lori Lightfoot uh, in regards to the budget, the city's budget? We actually met with Mayor Lightfoot about the budget, um, and... Uh, yes, we, <laughs> we met with her. So she did. Wait, we, as in you? Well, I ended up having to be, it was set at a time that I was, um, out of town. So it was rescheduled. And then when it got rescheduled, um, the mayor rescheduled it and then, um, I couldn't make it. So, but my organizers were there as other organizers we work with. It was a group of about 10 or 12 people. Um, mm. so, and in that meeting, she, mostly rejected all of the ideas that we put in front of her. We actually, so the, you actually advanced ideas and she said, no, no, yes. she actually said, okay. Yes. Um, so what she said no to was, uh, one of the things she said no to was a corporate head tax. Um, so again, this is what was in place until Rahm Emanuel was mayor. When he went, when it was his first act, when that first budget he passed, he did two things. He closed, um, half the city's public mental health clinics and he began the rollback of the corporate head tax. 
very linked things. When you say you don't have money for mental health clinics and you basically are giving money back to corporate Chicago, well, there's a, you know, it's a direct linkage. What we fought for, what we're, there's three things, three kind of elements we're fighting for in this budget. So one is investment in neighborhoods, including, um, public mental health clinics. The uh, mayoral town hall we held in January with almost a thousand people on the west side of Chicago, um, candidate Lightfoot committed to $25 million um, reinvestment in public mental health clinics. Um, And as mayor, she has uh, not only not committed to $25 million for mental health, she has um, refused to open, reopen public, the closed public mental health clinics. At the same time, we have been pushing for this corporate head tax to be reinstated. And, you know, if you actually when the corporate head tax was first started, I believe, in the 80s. um, And at that time was four dollars a person, an employee for uh, for corporations of a certain size. That number never stayed, never changed. It stayed $4 every year. So if you actually index to inflation, that's the equivalent of about 25 bucks per employee now. Um, Our ordinance talks that Rosana Rodriguez is our um, sponsor, would call for a $35 per person corporate head tax. um, A year. A a year. Mm. And the exceptions would be for corporations who hire um, folks who live in high crime, low income areas. So it's giving incentive to hire people who are currently not um, getting jobs. So that's a great incentive right there. Mm-hmm. Um, that would generate about $100 million a year. So, you know, I think that, so this was a very live issue during the strike. It's still a very live issue during the budget season when we're actually, she does not have all the revenue she needs to pass a balanced budget yet, right? We know a bunch of this is dependent on veto session next week. It's not looking too good um, for the two things that she's pushing. One is a real estate transfer tax, which of course, again, one of our member groups, uh, Chicago Coalition for the Homeless, has been fight, that was their idea. They're fighting for that to go specifically to end homelessness. You have a group of progressive of lawmakers in Springfield who have come out to say a majority of that money has to go to homeless homelessness if we're going to support it. So I don't think she's got the votes because um, in veto session, you need two thirds and uh, Republicans aren't going to be in support of it. So without those progressive lawmakers, um, I don't think she has the votes. And then the other piece is the casino. Um, and, you know, so that's let's see where that gets to. Both of these, though, obviously are significant pieces of how she crafted this budget. We don't think she's going to get there. So I think, again, this is a very live question still of where are you going to find the revenue? And the default should not be a property tax increase when you have not gone back to the corporate class in the city who are doing quite well, last I checked. Um, skyrocketing profits. This is not this is not a um, this is 100 million a year, though, is significant for all of those corporations. That's not it's not much when you divide it up in terms of who would be paying for this. Um so this is a this is a really this is a really key thing. Like there are progressive revenue options on the table. She needs to look at those first before any cuts and certainly before any property tax increase to the general community. TIFs, we talked about so you know, she got lauded for this TIF surplus and yes, it's the largest TIF surplus she's made, but it's the most TIF money that we've ever had also, so I don't really give a lot of extra points for that. And we actually think there's much more money she still could have surplus. We were fighting for even the last um, what was it, $35 million that CTU needed to settle the strike. I mean, that's 
a $70 million extra surplus on the TIF. So we actually were calling for a $400 million TIF surplus. Um, what she has put out is a $300 million TIF surplus. Um, so there's... There, and then there's other ideas that we've put out, like Pilot, um, which is a payment in lieu of. Um, this is the one thing that she expressed she was wanted to hear more of when we met with her. She, um, but I've yet to hear her say anything publicly about it. And this goes after the large hospitals um, like University of Chicago or Northwestern to pay. And this is done in other places. It's uh, basically since they're nonprofits, they're, they're not paying taxes. Mm -hmm. So they make a payment in lieu of taxes to go towards the cost of services, the, co the cost of, you know, actually um, being uh, being in the city to help pay for the common good that is necessary. Most of these um, healthcare institutions pay uh, very small amounts and provide very small amounts of charity care. They are mostly making significant profits off of um, providing healthcare in the city. They can make a payment in lieu of taxes, right? There's multiple place sources. So far, she has not come out in support of any of those um, to the levels that we want when it comes to TIFs, but certainly any support of the other pieces. Well, so all right, let's take it, break it down point by point. When you suggested uh, uh, rating the TIF surplus uh, for four hundred million as opposed to three hundred million, she just said flat out no. This was before she came. So we met with her before she I announced see. 300 million, right? I we see. It's not in the last week or so that we've met. This was about a month ago. I see. Um, so, you know, so that when, then when she came out, what she came out with was uh, 300 million. I see. So yeah. she, you suggested 400. She was like, take it. Yeah. <laughs> Corporate head tax. She came out and said no in yeah. that meeting. Okay. Um, and she's consistently said no. Yeah. But like, it just, it makes no sense. And pilot pay payment in lieu of taxes. Did she say no? She said she was, she was interested in that and hearing more about it. Um, it was supposed to be an hour meeting with her. It ended up being about 25 minutes, you know? <laughs> so like that was part of it too, was I like, got things to do. Uh, okay. you know, um, she, there was a, you know, there were people in the room who told their stories about, men, you know, kind of crisis within the mental, you know, men mental health crisis, like very powerful stories. Um, she unfortunately spent a significant amount of the time um, of those 25 minutes or so being upset with us that we were um, not being more cooperative. And I, what I, to me, I just like there's there's a role of community organizers. There's a role that we do play in the city, which is we we take people to the streets. We we have public actions to to put out demands, and we also have conversation. We are able to do multiple things, but the 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 misconception that you don't, as an elected official, need people on the streets pushing for things, giving you that cover, giving you that like showing that there is support in the community in the city for the things that you actually could do, is a total problem here because I don't understand as a mayor um, who fights and talks about being a progressive that when you're upset with people who are progressives pushing forward a progressive agenda that you want us to be more polite about it like this actually is a helpful thing to you to be able to give you the political demand to push for bolder actions right so because we're not 
how else are we going to communicate and show our power than to do that? And, um, you know, and hopefully the mayor, mayor will start to see that it's actually a helpful thing for her governing the city. Yeah, no, that, uh, uh, who was it that said, make me, make me, do- oh, it was Johnson. Uh, it's uh, way before your time, Amisha. Linda Baines Johnson, the president of the United States in the mid-60s, told Martin Luther King, make me have to That's do right. this. That's right. Make well, me have to do this. And you even look at Obama, right? When Obama won, we all thought, hey, we made it. There was no outside game and we did not that was a huge misstep the idea that we have this inside track now and we can move forward our policies because hey our guy is in office we didn't get employee free chat like all the things that the big pieces of legislation that like obama talked about being in support of there was no political demand and political push for it to happen. What was and we, the first thing on the list that you were going to read? We didn't get employment. No, Employee Free Choice Act. This is called EFCA. This was the thing that basically would give workers the right to form a union freely, free from intimidation from employers, um, that the reality of what happens all the time. Um, this was like labor's like the number one um, ag- on the agenda. And there was no labor organizing, protesting, push because we thought, hey, we can just go on the inside, our guy's there. So the idea that with Lightfoot, whatever, you know, I won't even talk about whether she's progressive or not, but like the idea that any elected official will say, will be upset about organizing, about putting demands out in the streets, about, you know, making, calling elected officials, calling aldermen, um, pushing forward that agenda. It makes no sense that that is how we win change. That is how we win over and over. You look at like U.S. history, global history. It is about organizing and showing power and showing like other residents, like, hey, there's another way possible. Like here, come join us. Like that is how we move change. And you could have a, you could decide to govern knowing that and leveraging the power of us in the streets to actually be able to put forward more bold demands or you can be really pissed at it but if you be pissed at it like that actually that is a disservice because you cannot move forward a bold agenda without people demanding it and that's what we do mm-hmm. you know it's uh yeah it's part and parcel it's all this it's, it'd be as though well i wonder if Lori Lightfoot goes to the chicago tribune editorial board and says hey Stop being tone so... Tone it down. Tone yeah. it down. <laughs> right. Drop it down a level. Huh? Good, you're being good. mean to me. You're being yeah. mean to me. <laughs> yeah. Or conversely, you know what? I think you're unfair to the teachers. Can you right. just drop it down That's a notch? Right. That's right. Look yeah. out for the teachers. Uh, yeah. No, it's a, um, it's a strange town that uh, we're in, Amisha. And, and the longer I'm here, I've been here since 81, the longer I'm here, the stranger it is. Uh, there's such a disconnect. I talked about this earlier, but I'll come back to it. There's such a disconnect between the overwhelming majority of people who live in this town and the decisions that are made by the powers of be uh, in the town, by the voice of the central media in this town. It's just... <laughs> the Tribune wrote in an editorial about the teacher strike that the silent majority of Chicagoans were on there, the Tribune side, uh, in a p- opposition to the teachers and were really upset, but they were the silent majority because they were afraid following on this of getting the wrath of the teachers union. And I'm like, how could anybody write that with a straight face? Like as if the, my whole life here in the city of Chicago, the teachers unions has ever been the bully. I've never recall a teacher union ever once like not picking up someone's garbage because they spoke out. You know what I'm saying? It's just like 
the teachers union as a assertive force in Chicago politics is relatively new. And uh, in this, the last strike, most of the politicians in the city either supported Mayor Rahm or were hiding under the table. In this strike, they were all hiding under the table with the few exceptions who supported the, the socialists who supported the teachers and uh, the rest of them supported Lori Life. So do you understand what I'm saying? It's like, it seems as though this town it just uh, subscribes to some myths and fantasies that bear no relationship to what ordinary human beings are dealing with. That's my sense. Well, and I think, you know, the Tribune can write that story, but it's so disconnected from reality. And I think that's what really matters. Like, the, I think there's this idea of, you know, the, and I'll have to say, I was even a little nervous about... Okay, so how much per parent support will there be? Um, the whole question, because Lori, you know, when Rom came in, Rom was like, you know, did some clear, huge mistakes and attacks on the union that really helped to build support of parents um, and, of course, obviously teachers themselves around moving a bold agenda. I had a question of like, what what's that going to be like this round? Um, with you know, Lightfoot having seventy five percent of the vote. Though a lot of people didn't vote, but like, you know, really a bit still That's a huge point. It's a huge point. But 65 percent of the city did, did not, not vote, vote for okay? Lori Lightfoot. So, yeah. Did not vote. Yeah. Well, did period. Not vote. No, that's right. So if you want to add who didn't vote for Lori Lightfoot, yes. you got to add the 65 percent who didn't vote. Right. And uh, what I got, I'm not that good at math. Uh, I mean, 25 percent voted, voted for uh, Brett Greenville. Brett Greenville. Nice like, um, you got it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, anyway, I just I think that like. Uh, there's just a such a disconnect of like what people in neighborhoods care about, um, what they believe, and what you saw that happen. You mean you? I think you, you really saw that, and I think perhaps Lightfoot administration thought, um, you know, people are going to be on my side, um, and they weren't because. Their, her side was to say no nurses, no librarians, no social workers, or just trust me, right? Maybe her side more, you know, be more truthfully was like, trust me on this, but not to put it in writing. And that I do think Chicagoans know um, not to trust because <laughs> we have heard that over and over. Um, well, nobody in the world, let me just say this. Uh, nobody in the world of business that was so supportive of Lori Lightfoot if they were honest, they were sitting here at the table. Not a one of them, not one of them would strike a deal with the city of Chicago that wasn't contractually supported by a, a legally binding contract that their freaking lawyers negotiated. When Lincoln Yards took the TIF right. dollars yep. from the city of Chicago, they go, hey, man, you know, you give it to me next year. That's cool. If you don't give it to me next year, well, well, we'll talk about it next year. Uh-uh. Negatory. Right. They had that lawyer in that room. It's negatory. Uh, yes. <laughs> I, I hope so. He says it like every day. <laughs> uh, that comma. Could you move that comma uh, to the left? Uh, I have to edit so many shows. That's not even a word. Uh, I'm, that, that's my imitation of the lawyer for Lincoln Yards. Uh, please move that comma to the right thank you uh, but that is my point yes absolutely 
And so the teacher's basic demand of put it in writing was absolutely correct. And it's just like, so wait, when, when it comes to education, we can just, we're supposed to just trust you. But when it comes to developers, oh, all of that gets put into writing and, oh, we can't, we can't change that. And, oh, you don't have the right to sue me because, um, cause, oh, this is like, this is like, this was all written, all written down. All right. We'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, you don't have the right to, to sue me, by the way. So what was the mayor's response? Uh, to the uh, request about uh, reopening some of the mental health clinics when you had the meeting and you had people giving testimony. She didn't, she wouldn't answer it. She would not commit to it. She would not say, I mean, I really, I just think the way that the, um, she treated the mental, the woman who was um, um, dealing and talked, told her story about her challenges around mental health was really disres- it's like it's like she didn't hear her she didn't try to hear her she didn't try to connect with her um it was like she was almost expendable it was a really i don't know it was a really difficult it was a really difficult and disrespectful moment so she did not make any commitment around it and you know and we saw in the budget um she'll, what she what she is doing is investing in privatized mental health care, which we just don't believe is the answer. It does not, it means that um, they can be, people can be denied access. Um, people don't necessarily have the same therapist each time. Like there's like the whole thing of the, which you actually, this idea that you could just kind of check into whoever's on um, available, like nobody else would be expected to do that for mental health care. Like you would have a relationship with your provider. Um, all of these things, you know, whether you're undocumented, I mean, there's all these questions that come into play in private, privatized care. Um, and what we've hear over and over from folks who are using the system is that it's not as good. It is, in, is inadequate care. Um, and I think she really could, I, you know, I think there are, to me, not as someone who has, I've never used a public mental health clinic, so I don't speak from that place. But I do think like, it actually is not a it's it, there's not a it's not a huge amount of money that's necessary for over and over folks are saying that this is actually the right way it doesn't mean you can't try other things even but like the fact that you're saying no to this um and that you have aldermen who have come you know who voted you know when rom's first budget it was unanimous yes right it was a 50-0 budget mm-hmm which meant that every alderman voted to close public mental health clinics. You have a group of aldermen that then publicly came out to say, we made mistakes and we're so sorry, uh, uh, Scott including there. Alderman Wagesback. Mm-hmm. And where, so where is Alderman Wagesback now? Why, like, this is a moment to say, hey, stick to the thing you, you said, yes, you're sorry, you made the wrong vote. That's great. You have the chance to actually fix it. And now you're not saying anything about that. Like, that's not okay. All right, let me ask you this question. And this will require you to go into the heads of uh, Chicago's mayors, Rahm and Lori Lightfoot. But do that for the sake of this question. And I've never understood this. Mayor Rahm in that first budget in 2011, uh, uh, one of the things that he proposed, as you said, was to close six mental health clinics, uh, several which were in high crime areas where there was a lot of shootings. I've never understood from any standpoint why anybody thought that was medically a good decision, uh, symbolically a good decision, politically a good decision. And since it was relatively nickels that they were saving, if they were saving anything at all, uh, financially a good decision. I, I've always figured that was Mayor Rahm's way of saying I'm tough and I'm gonna, I'm not afraid to whack somebody. <laughs> so he takes the most vulnerable people and whacks them. All right. So Mayor Lori Lightfoot, 
I, okay, so I can understand Mayor Rahm's stubborn. I'm never going to admit I made a mistake and that uh, all those lefties were right. I'm just going to keep those budgets, uh, those clinics closed for seven years. Fast forward, 2019, eight years after Mayor Rahm shoved that down the throats of the city council, uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot could be a hero and open a couple of clinics and she's not doing it. Please explain to me what the resistance is of powerful mayors in the city of Chicago to having a neighborhood clinic in a high crime, poor neighborhood. I wish I knew it. it, it I don't I cannot understand it. I like I just don't get I don't get it. Um and the people who use the clinics, you know, more than anybody don't get it. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, the, I, the best I can tell is that um, she thinks that she's got a better plan. Instead of listening to the people who are actually using the services and who are saying this is what's best for me. I, I believe she thinks she has a better plan. That better plan is not what people want. So better for who and based on what. And I think those are like real those are like real questions and a real challenge with how she's going to govern for the next set of years, mm-hmm. because though she does, you know, she is in more rooms. Like the fact that I could say, yeah, we've had a few meetings with the mayor. Um, that I n- never said about Rahm Emanuel. He's like never. <laughs> <laughs> the closest I got to him was a budget one of the two budget hearings in eight years. Um, were then you know ended with him running off the stage after work. No, oh. not from me but um from, I wish uh, but the, uh, um the, the striking uh the the, the hunger, hunger strikers, strikers yeah, yeah for diet school, the hunger strikers including one who's now a alderman yep Jeanette Butler. Jeanette Taylor Taylor excuse me now um, um so all right well let me ask you this uh this seems to be the disconnect theme of uh today's show is it disconnects a big theme why is that Think about this. Chicago is a liberal city, at least when it comes to presidential elections. It's a Democratic city. Uh, the Republicans in uh, many awards are lucky if they get 5% of the vote. Uh, citywide, it's about 20% in a Republican election. Why are our mayors so hostile to the left? Well, I here's where I'll take some... Uh, ownership of this of like we have not why hasn't the left organized to like be able to actually put one of our people into office as mayor i mean i think obviously karen lewis like that was this moment of where before karen was exploring running i and i would say true for probably many other people it never occurred to me that we could run the city like literally run the city like until she decided was like oh wait wait why is this a given that we just have to wait out daily to like leave before we could like be have you know become the mayor like we actually have agency i think that like karen lewis opened up the door of imagination of possibility of like yes we could this is our city we should be running it um but then last we weren't ready for this last election like we didn't come we sort of did the same thing we did with years of daily of like well you know instead of kind of figuring out like an here's our decision we're going to make. Here's our plan. Here's the year we're going to take this office. We waited until he decided he wasn't going to run again. Fast forward, we do the same thing. Rahm Emanuel suddenly decides he's not going to run again, and we don't have someone ready yet once again. So I do feel like that's some, that is on us. I don't think that's not going to happen again. I think that 2023... Um, 
and years after that, if we don't, if we don't, if we don't have a candidate coming from the people in 2023, we will con- like. I don't think we're going to make this mistake a third time. But I do think this is this is also on us that we have not. Um, we have been limited in our imagination and understanding of what's possible. We have misread our power. I think we underestimate our power. Sometimes we often overestimate our power. So it is a, it goes both ways, but I do think that like the strike in particular shows us that like there, the city is with us on an agenda that is makes sense. That is like, um, what people like mating the basic, you know, like, fighting for the things that our neighbors and communities deserve, that there are more people with us than are, than are not. And I think that that's going to be, that's going to be different. I think, I think Lightfoot, somebody wrote this, this wasn't me. Somebody wrote recently that she's not a progressive, she's a reformer. Um, and that res- there's a lot in that piece that resonated. And so if you think it's your earlier question about the mental health clinics, well, if she thinks she's reforming the system, then she thinks that this way of doing it is gonna bring about the change that, um, that needs to happen. Well, I've always uh, cautioned people in the city of Chicago and the state of Illinois not to believe anything that has the word reform in it. Because uh, reform generally means taking from somebody and giving to somebody else. That's how, what it means That's in right. the state of Illinois yep. and the city of Chicago. I've been seeing that happen for a long time. I'm going to uh, just make one uh, d- disagreement with you on your analysis of went down. I agree with most of it, but I'll say this. Uh, the powers that be, the political powers that be, I don't know what else to call them, the machine, what have you, uh, are a lot more uh, flex- flexible and they're uh, nimble in a way that you don't really give them credit for. So going to this point, there was a candidate who is positioned to be the quote-unquote progressive candidate for mayor in 2019. That candidate ran in 2015, forced Mayor Rahm into a runoff. That candidate's name was Jesus Chuy Garcia. And I'm telling you, man, (laughs) Rahm was no dope. He cut a deal. Some deal went down, Amisha Patel. Next thing you know, Louis stepping down as congressman. Uh, Jesus Chuy Garcia is all out of Chicago. He's going to Washington. Now he's in Washington. And good for him. God bless him. He's going to be a congressman. He's one of how many? Uh, members of Nancy Pelosi's, uh, you know, caucus, but he wasn't in Chicago in 2019 to run for mayor, and so it was a wide open field. But I would also say that Chewy did not act like he wanted. Like after he lost the runoff, he wasn't acting like he wanted it in 2019. Also, right? Like he wasn't doing the things that you would do if you had just come out of that fight um, and you were positioning yourself to do that fight again. Like, I think, I think he was conflicted and you saw that in his lack of leadership in some ways, right. At the, at the level of the city. Um, But absolutely. Like there is um, there, you know, there are not, there are no coincidences in Chicago politics. (laughs) That is what I know. Um, There's no like, Oh wow. How'd that happen? Um, (laughs) I have learned that. So that is, that is, I don't fight you on that. Um, Oh wow. How did that happen? (laughs) Oh, that's a curiosity. (laughs) I didn't see that coming. Uh, No, that was a slick move, Rom. Good move here. Uh, And then he didn't even run after all was that all that wheeling and dealing he didn't even run uh yeah so all right well there we have it um that's the situation we face uh, yeah i remember writing before the uh mayoral election and i had a lot of issues with both candidates Lori lightfoot and tony prickwick and i and i wrote there's no progressive in this race if by progressive you mean somebody who uh was on the front lines of progressive movements i was even being nice i just said the last six years and neither one of them 
Neither one of them. I mean, I, I could go through the list, Amish Patel, and you were there and, and fight against the Olympics. One of the most wasteful, stupid fights the city ever dedicated itself to. Thankfully, we didn't get them. I didn't see Tony Perkwinkle or Lori Lightfoot there. So every single one of these fights down the road, a G8 coming to Chicago, what a waste of money and time that was. Just they, they were not there. And I can't think of a politician, a significant politician with citywide credibility who was. So I would argue there are no progressives in the city of Chicago. Well, they're not running for mayor yet, but that's what I'm saying. Like there are like, that's the people who are in the front lines of those movements. That's who we need to be looking towards to say, um, who's going to be the next mayor of the city? Who's going to be, you know, how do we grow, um, the caucus within the city council to take, to be in a majority? Because again, I think the majority is with us. So how do we take the power to actually govern that way? Um, and I think in 2023, you could have a mayor and a majority of a caucus of a city council um, in place that could, you know, and I think that's, that's what we, that's what we've got to work well, towards. I, uh, uh, I have to say that we, we, listening to you talk about this, I'll throw this, uh, get you a response to this. One of the criticism uh, that I heard from many people, they would say to me all the time, They'd say the Chicago Teachers Union is uh, went on strike uh, because they were mad at the, the outcome of the 2019 mayoral election. Their candidate, uh, Tony Prickwinkle, was defeated by Lori Lightfoot. And they want to prove to Lori Lightfoot that they exist and she has to pay attention to them. And this was just merely a strike. Uh, they lost five days of wages, those teachers, uh, just to send a message to Lori Lightfoot. I've read that so many places. I've read that even from, after the strike was settled. Are people still saying that? Oh yeah, uh, I've been reading that. Uh, yes, okay. yes. If like the standard takeaway theory, uh, I just had to cover. I cannot name the man's name. Because I don't want to embarrass him, but he, uh, I had just had this conversation th four days ago with a person of the liberal persuasion. We'll let, leave it go at that. And uh, so that's, what's your response to that? I can't swear, right? No, you can swear. To oh, 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 I can swear. <laughs> yeah. It is some bullshit. Okay. <laughs> it's Whoa, like, fucked up. Oh, this whole time, I could have been swearing this yeah. whole time. Oh, my God. Oh, you my hear God. Jeanette Taylor. <laughs> 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 she comes in here and let it fly. Uh, That's right. That's right. Um, so it's just total bullshit. I mean, I think um, what you saw the teachers went on strike for and paraprofessionals and social workers and all of the folks who went all the folks who work in the schools went on strike for what they won was stuff for their children in those classrooms they went on strike for basic educational equity when the things that like schools across the state have that students and the black and majority black and latinx students in chicago do not have the idea to dismiss this all of that action as political um, is a really I mean, that's a, 
I don't know, if that's your narrative even post-strike, then that's going to be your nar- narrative on like for life. Like I, can't, I don't understand how you can say that unless that's just your decision um, that you aren't open to any other thoughts on. Well, it's an attempt to marginalize the position that the other side's taken. In other totally. words, it's just, you're saying, well, there's it's no... completely dismissive. Yeah, we, yeah. There's no issue that, there's right. no real issue. You're not arguing for n- more nurses. You're using the argument for more nurses to advance your political career. Uh, I was like, well, it's a pretty effective argument, but it's not. I'm, I mean, I, it, to me, it feels like, again, when we talk about disconnect, it's like that is someone who's so dis, like who, whose children do not go to the Chicago public schools, who are not living in the neighborhood, like neighborhoods on the south and west sides, who are not dealing with the reality of the con- the decades of disinvestment that has been, you know, been been moving from city officials in so much of our city. Um, to say that teachers went to prove a point um, is just like, well, then that's then you actually think that students don't deserve these basic things. You think that students don't deserve education educational equity, or you think that it's already fair the way that it is, and we should just be happy for what it is. And okay, you do you and your little, whatever house you live in, and whichever neighborhood you live in, um, and whatever world you live in that does not require, that is not connected to reality. All right, let's so sort of sum it all up. Um, so uh, let's see, as we speak, it is, what is it, uh, November 7th, when does the city council vote, do you know, on the mayor's budget? It's uh, supposed to be November 26th, the Tuesday before um, Thanksgiving break. Wow, right before Thanksgiving. I don't know that she has the votes um, yet. I think she could get votes if she moved on some of the stuff that we've been pushing for and fighting for. And I feel like it's a very similar eerie dynamic. I think what you saw, how you saw Lightfoot handle the strike is how you're going to see her govern unless she makes some decisions that are different, which is to say, here's here's my like here's my opening argument. Here's my line in the sand. I'm not crossing the sand until you make her cross that line in the sand until suddenly there is more money until suddenly, um, there are like more options than, than what she claimed that would be. And I think that's the same. That's going to, that's what's going to be at play here in this budget. Um, that is dependent on Springfield. It's looking very unlikely that the two big thing that she's going to get, she's certainly not going to get both of the things. We'll see if she even gets any of them and what that means. And I think that she could totally get votes on a budget if people were, if she was to move on some of the things that we're fighting for, it would also be really helpful to de- decouple the $15 minimum wage from that because the idea that, so right now what people may not realize, but the vote for the budget includes $15 minimum wage. And she's doing that because she thinks she's worried about the votes and she thinks by putting it in there, she'll get more votes. And I don't know that that's actually true. I don't know that that's the right political assessment. Um, because people can still vote for, there's a way you can say, I'm not voting for this budget, but I but we're going to fight to have $15 be a separate ordinance. So a lot's going to happen in the next few weeks. Um, and I think she's, she's still got many opportunities to come forward on some, on some of the things that we're pushing for. All right. Very good. We'll leave it at that on the local scene. Before I let you go, uh, a question about the national scene on Tuesday, two days ago, uh, they had a primary, excuse me, a general election in Kentucky, and the Democrat Brashears d- defeated the Republican Bevins. Uh, this has been on my mind all day, Amisha. It, and even though that Republican was an ally of uh, Donald Trump, 
and Donald Trump had gone to Kentucky. I don't know if you follow these things, but he had gone to Kentucky to give a rally, uh, to, to address a rally on the Monday before the Tuesday, and he laid it out there. He said, this election is all about me, so uh, you got to vote for Bevins, or they're going to say I'm the biggest loser in the world. Uh, and Or he's singing a different tune in, on today because he, Bevins lost all right, Bevan's lost. And in the aftermath, the analysts are going through, reporting through the details and trying to figure out what's the winning formula that the Democrats had and to, that enabled them to capture what is unimaginable to some degree, the governor's uh, seat in Kentucky. So when you take a look at the, that election and when you also the one in Virginia where the Democrats mm-hmm. took the House and the Senate, what lessons do you take away that you think uh, the uh, presidential candidates, the Democratic presidential candidates can use when they go after Donald John Trump? Um, I never knew it's John Trump. That's uh, That threw me off a second. I was like, who's Donald that? Donald John, John Trump. Um, <laughs> That was Robert Mueller. Thank you, uh, Mr. Mueller. Well, I guess the way I would answer it is I think the other thing that I think is interesting about the states that had some pretty big wins um, uh, are states where teachers went on strike. Um, so there are states that there um, were like, you know, where there's just bold action fi- that people believe in and people support. And this idea that like you can win, um, you can win your agenda by, or, you know, the Democrats can win by being centrist or being kind of like just on the other side of the line. I just think we're proving that over and over. I'm not saying that Kentucky, like, you know, he's, the Democrat in Kentucky, um, I'm blanking on his name, the governor who's going to be the next governor. Um, you know, I mean, he's certainly not like, it's a different kind of a Democrat in Kentucky than, you know, let's say in, in, in Illinois. But I do think this like piece of like this, looking at the, the connection between where folks are in the streets, taking bold action and what that means to being able to win governing power, you cannot deny. I also think in Kentucky and Virginia, both you have two incredible base building organizations um, that are, um, so New Virginia Majority and uh, Kentuckians for the Commonwealth that have done incredible organizing for many years. Um, have also gotten, you know, been been invested in to be able to like fight those campaigns as they should be, um, and I, I think that people have been doing this work for the long haul. And you're seeing in this moment that there are huge possibilities for being able to fight back against Trump's agenda, to fight back against Trump can, you know, the Trump uh, surrogates who are in, you know, in play all over this country. And I think 2020 is going to be really interesting. I agree with you 100% on the last uh, point you made above all. I didn't know about the Kentucky. I'm going to look into that uh, Kentuckians for the Commonwealth. Uh, that's uh, something that I, I, I was aware, and I'll leave it here, Avisha. I got a big smile uh, that the teachers unions in Kentucky really went all out for Bashir. And I just always smile at my beloved liberals in the city of Chicago. I love you dearly. Okay, we're not always eye to eye on all the issues. Uh, and But... They can't stand the Chicago Teachers Union. But when it comes to beating Trump, they better hope all these teachers unions that they have such this antipathy for get out the vote because that's the heart and soul of it. You got to get out that vote. You need the unions to get out the vote. And they have such a dismissive, disdainful attitude when they have to deal with unions in their own home turf. But oh yeah go get him hell in kentucky you have what i'm saying yeah no i it's um i again i just think the the movements 
that there are multiple movements that have been organized, like even the work that the teachers comes off of like years and years of movements that have been building in the city of Chicago. Um, but then the, t the work that the, the risks that teachers take, um, the, how far they move the line and still get like shamed for it or blamed for it is just, um, you know, I just think it's, again, it's like a technocrat, neoliberal technical technocrat response. You can just point from your, um, safe little house about what needs to happen and why it needs to happen. And it's, um, uh, and meanwhile, actually they're, I think part of it is like, they're not relevant, right? They're not in the front lines, the ways that the, like, Stacey Davis Gates and Jesse Sharkey and all of the teachers that like were side by side with them. And so you're mad about it. I don't know. It's just a weird thing, but I'm so grateful for that leadership. I'm so grateful for working hand in hand with them. And I think that we, we know that like change is coming and it's being brought every single day by workers that take bold action. Um, Mount Sinai workers are poised to go on strike. Mount uh, Triton college is on strike. I mean, there is just, and this comes off of a legacy, like a year of like eight unions going on strike. Strike. Like this is, this is the power. Like if we think that we're going to win governing power, it, it's not going to like, it is going to be because we flex the power that we have as workers and as working people. And as, and, and, and I think that is incredibly exciting and, you know, and someday people will thank them. Um, I certainly do today. All right. Very good. Thank you so much. Amisha Patel from Grassroots Collaborative. This has been a Ben Jarofsky's bonus show. Take care, everybody. Ben Jarofsky Show Benny J bonus interview was brought to you in part by the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150, and the Chicago Federation of Labor. Yeah.